Hi, this is Michelle Lassley with Balance Shared, a space where I truly believe we are better together. Guest today is Olga Ward. She's back. She uses the uh, pronoun she, her, hers. So as you recall, Olga joined us last week. So let's recap. Olga started Beaverton Neurofeedback after having experienced a positive life-changing power of neuro-optimal neurofeedback on herself and her loved ones. She is a parent of both a biological and adoptive child. Olga and her husband both provide intermittent therapeutic foster care for children with trauma and attachment issues. Both of her own children have struggled with varying degrees of mental health issues, including anxiety, developmental trauma, sleep, nightmares, and ADHD. Once Olga experienced firsthand the amazing effects of neurooptimal feedback, she became eager to help others. So last week, we ended up talking a lot about your journey on like what was happening, what was going on, and I really appreciate you sharing that piece of your story because that need for advocacy has so many parallels in so many other parts of the world and, and life. And so can we just thank you so much for mm-hmm. coming back? Yeah. Yeah. There's so much to talk about. We didn't finish and I hope the listeners get to listen to the first, if, you know, if they skipped over, listen to the first part. We'll link that in the show notes so people have an easy way to get back. But it's the episode that'll be just preceding this. So listener, just go back an episode. It's super easy. <laughs> I know. I have a tendency to like jump around and uh, get to whatever. So not always going order. <laughs> uh, so can you just briefly summarize the sort of, I'm going to use some words and if they don't resonate, please correct me. Sure. But the sort so what I what I'm remembering is like there's there was a paralysis you and and juxtaposed with this commitment to your family so you and your husband created this family very intentionally and you're in it for the long haul Mm -hmm. and you were brought with like some really intense emotional uh uh, I want to say challenges but that's not quite the right word yeah challenges works Okay. Yeah. Uh, and and the answers weren't out there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of things that I had an information about um, in preparation for my adoption my adoption journey, but there's still a lot that I didn't know. So you wanted to be able to support yourself and your daughter, mm-hmm. and ultimately the rest of your family, and. Something led you to finding neurofeedback. Yes, yes. So, yes, my daughter, um, when she joined our family at the age of eight with lots of trauma and attachment issues um, coming from foster care where she had moved from family to family and didn't have a lot of permanency. um, And then she moved in with us. and, you know, we thought we were prepared, um, yet we encountered a lot of challenges and a lot of big behaviors, um, a lot of heartaches and just difficult days. Um, there were some days we just felt like we were constantly in crisis and then normal seal, just being calm and peaceful home and happy and just going about our daily routines, you know, was not there. So, of course, I was quite um, 
nervous and worried about what, like, when is this going to get settled? Is this just a matter of days, months? Is it going to take years before we finally kind of readjust um, to each other? And this this child uh, would start trusting us. How, how long would it take? So we have done. Uh, we I hooked her up to uh, counseling. All, right away, although there was a waiting period, um, unfortunately, and that's that's the reality. Um, waiting period. Uh, we did some family therapy. We, uh, my daughter was doing individual counseling. There's a lot of stuff that we we were doing a lot of work. And uh, as I had mentioned in the prior episode, my daughter was on some pharmaceuticals um, that I wasn't so sure. So I had. My husband and I researched it and we were just kind of puzzled as to why certain meds were prescribed and what they exactly they were doing and, you know, if that was even the right call. So um, a lot of exploration, a lot of trying to put the puzzles together. Uh, also very stressful, um, of course, that was pretty norm. So in my exploration and trying desperately to help my child and to get things uh, sort of under control so that we don't have to have these runaways, the, um, you know, screaming for hours. It was just challenging. How can I help? What's going on with her? What can I do to make her nervous system trust us and just settle down so she can sleep through the night without multiple nightmares and being up half the night and then just be a complete mess the next day. Uh, besides talking to her, besides therapy, besides giving her, trying different meds, what else can we do? Because we're doing all those other traditional methods and that's just not enough. Um, so yeah, um, interestingly, I discovered neurofeedback um, kind of gradually. Uh, it was my daughter's therapist who had recommended the book, The Body Keeps the Score, about the trauma and attachment it's uh, many listeners may have already heard or read. There's a whole chapter. I think it's chapter 14 on neurofeedback um, specifically as an um, alternative way to help rebalance the brain and heal from trauma. Uh, and, but that intrigued me. Notes too. Yeah. Okay. So you were intrigued. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was very intrigued. I was like, what is, what is this? I've never heard of it before. Um, so I started my research as a diligent mom. Um, I was Googling, I was reading different articles. It's just fascinating. Uh, I said, wow. So when the brain is traumatized, it's sort of stuck, stuck in this fight, flight, freeze response. So it's sort of like physical therapy for the brain. It's like an exercise machine that you hook the person up to and allow it to sort of reset, recalibrate, heal, uh, so to speak. So that was very interesting. I had started actually after lots of trying and feeling like I am, nothing is working uh, or working very temporarily. I noticed my own personal burnout and I was starting to get uh, impatient and frustrated. And um, you can you can try for so long with the child who has attachment and trauma, who is pushing you away as hard as she can. Um, no matter what you do, it's just everything is like 
you know, and that's, that's actually pretty typical and normal for someone who had been rejected because accepting someone's um, kindness or just relationship is scary for children who have mixed feelings about close relationship equals being hurt in the past. Um, it's just the brain is kind of mixed up um, from because the caregivers are supposed to care and love you and protect you. Uh, and you really don't have a choice, but rely on them. But in a young child's experience who had to rely and could not live independently and that same caregiver or caregivers continuously either did not meet the child's needs or abused the child, there's mixed messages and the brain is kind of like, wait, so I have no choice but to go to this person because I can't survive on my, on my own. I need, I need him or her, but when I do, I get hurt. So closeness equals getting hurt is what develops in the brain. Uh, what do I do? I just sort of freeze or fight or I shut down. This is really, the world is a, not a safe place. And of course that, initial feeling between like the primary caregiver and this child is what develops the view of the entire world. If, if my primary caregivers treat me like that, well, it's probably the whole world does too, because maybe I'm not worth it. Um, kind of that's what's developing in the brain because you don't have any other frame of re reference, any other experiences. This is what kind of shapes or early, early brain. So that's why we struggled as much as we did. So it wasn't as easy as here's a pretty bedspread and um, pink painted walls and stuffed animals and, you know, warm food on the table and hugs, right? It's, it's not that simple. It's not enough <laughs> in that, in that child. So it was fascinating to me that the brain can be so affected by, by early childhood experiences, adverse childhood experiences. And that simply saying, snap out of it, stop doing that. Don't, you know, think differently. It's, it's not enough. <laughs> and that's why to some extent counseling that affects um, often just the prefrontal cortex is not enough because the prefrontal cortex is the most advanced part of the brain. It doesn't develop in individuals until, in healthy individuals until mid twenties. So it's really, you know, it's very high level thinking. And with children, we are mostly dealing with, you know, downstairs brain survival. So, and that part of the brain is not responsive to logical thinking or just saying, stop, acting like that calm down you need to trust me right it's, it's not that easy <laughs> so in that way it the world of um, the idea of neurofeedback how we can sort of help the brain heal and reset and um, kind of break up the patterns that it started establishing was really interesting to me um, and I look I was thoroughly looking into that and read tons of studies and research and individuals' testimonies, I was fascinated. Um, but it wasn't until I chose to take myself to see a therapist that I tried it for myself. I, I sort of experienced it on myself first. Um, 
And I had uh, initially just done talk therapy with the counselor where we processed my experience and my own personal stress, um, raising this child and how I am dealing with that. And after months of seeing the therapist and just sort of processing things, I just still felt like it's not getting better. <laughs> like, yes, it's helpful to sort of come in, sit in the counselor's chair, throw up on the therapist, so to speak. Um, you temporarily feel better, but then you go home and things are still the same. And it's still things are still hard. You're right back in that stressful environment where the child doesn't like you or acts like she doesn't like you, doesn't trust you. And logically you get it. Why? You do. But it's really hard. After a while, it really gets to you. Um, and um, so it's when after a few months, my therapist had recommended that I do EMDR and that's eye movement desensitization reprocessing. That's another type of uh, brain training if you will, uh, that helps kind of stuck uh, traumatic memories get reprocessed so that I wouldn't be as triggered um, when my child does certain behaviors, um, unwanted behaviors or says some very hurtful things that it wouldn't sting as much because um, I wouldn't have these kind of like hot buttons, <laughs> um, if you will. Um, we've done a few sessions or EMDR I personally found it incredibly difficult, almost to the point that I wanted to not go back anymore. I've heard um, other people say that was the best thing ever, um, but my experience was, um, it was helpful, incredibly helpful, but also incredibly hard. So when my counselor said, well, what about neurofeedback? Um, I decided to try it because the, idea of sitting in a comfortable chair, having a blanket on, uh, and listening to relaxing music just sort of seemed very attractive, <laughs> a nice reprieve. It's like, well, I'm not sure what it's going to do, but it's, it's very relaxing, and I need to be more relaxed. So I don't know what expectations I had, except for I was just tired of working really, really hard at uh, figuring things out. Um, and things still were not getting better. So I decided to give neurofeedback a try. Uh, it probably took, yeah, I rem still remember the first session. It just felt relaxing. I remember that my headache went away, but I just kind of attributed to, well, of course, you know, sitting down and listening to relaxing music with some headphones, you know, would be relaxing. I don't know what else to expect, but it was probably about three or four sessions in that I realized my thinking patterns were changing just kind of automatically, where in the past I would automatically be stuck in that kind of a negative loop. For example, I would be driving and somebody cuts me off or, um, you know, something negative happens and I would have a tendency of dwelling on that negative experience. Um, and that's the trait I've had for years. Um, I was never proud of it, but I just didn't know how to change it. And, you know, feeling ashamed for it wasn't helping it, it go away. So um, 
I still remember like my mom, my mom as a teen would say, Olga, you need to like get over it enough already. We've processed it enough. Why are you still stuck? And I, I remember just having that feeling of like, I don't know like why I'm still stuck. Uh, thinking on it, why I can't just like be some other people who are like moving on already on another topic. And I'm still processing something that happened to me, uh, something negative that happened to me. Um, so within probably three or four sessions, I caught myself experiencing something negative. For example, um, my it would be a huge trigger when my daughter would lie to me. Uh, I would just get upset and take it very personally, despite the fact that my prefrontal cortex and my logical experience thinking says, this is, this is her fear response. This is pretty typical for children with trauma to lie because they're afraid and it takes a while to learn trust. But for some reason inside of me, everything would be screaming like, she is lying to me, that's not okay. And I would have this visceral angry response to it and be really triggered by that. And I couldn't help myself, right? And so within three or four sessions, I still remember she, there was something that she lied to me about uh, I got upset, which was pretty typical, but instead of staying upset for sometimes hours um, and just being annoyed, uh, just having that negative cloud over me, I just got over it in 10 minutes. And then I was able to turn to her and say what happened, you know, what, what was hard about telling me the truth. We processed it, we moved on, we got over it, and then we had a great day afterwards that was just so interesting to me I had never experienced that and it just happened spontaneously I was like well my brain has just decided get off that negative track yeah. on its own <laughs> let's take a break and when we come back let's uh, continue yeah Almost two-thirds of all adults in work are disengaged with their work. Adults, on average, have 12 career changes in their lifetime. Our global pandemic has erased 10 million jobs from the U.S. economy. And women and women of color are disproportionately affected. I believe these are symptoms of the problem that we are not answering the question we were born to answer. That is, we are not working in alignment, in purpose, and in flow. And that's why I decided to become a coach. I am a coach so I can help you work on your alignment, your purpose, and so you can create your flow. I am accepting a limited amount of six-month coaching packages right now. We will meet weekly, 60 minutes each week, after a 90-minute session where we will dig into your purpose, what it is, and how you can align your days so you are working on your purpose, which will ultimately bring you flow. Then you can be one of the 33% of working adults who are engaged with their work. You can be engaged with your work and your contribution to our world. Want to learn more? Visit www.michellelasley.com slash work with me. Limited spaces are available, so set up a meeting with me today. 
Welcome back. Okay, so to recap, you found neurofeedback, and then you found that it was helping to interrupt the think-feel-do triangle. So this is something that I talk about in various episodes. Um, I'm not going to make any links in the show notes because I do talk about it a lot. And I actually use the road rage example as as a, a prime example. So from my studies, this is what I've learned. One, there is anywhere between one and four seconds from when something happens from stimulus and response. Mm-hmm. So where that's our decision-making time frame, mm-hmm. one to four seconds. And one of the things that I like talking about a lot, which um, I've heard in many ways, some some of these things came out of uh, counseling sessions that, like family counseling sessions that my son and I engaged with a therapist for him. Some is just, you know, whatever. But there's a think, feel, do triangle, right? Mm-hmm. So an event happens, which creates a thought. And that thought, creates a feeling and that feeling generates an action and that action can be the fight flight or freeze Mm -hmm. generally is you know and so then you end up with the response so stimulus and response and in between that is the think feel do triangle and that time lasts one to four seconds one average i read a long time ago was 1.7 different studies have been done so we'll just go with one to four seconds very fast yeah Exactly. Not a lot of time to make make a thing. So what you shared was that you found that your response would have been to dwell. And so um, I've definitely been there more when when I was younger, Uh, you know, and so like for me, that dwelling usually would be like somebody said a thing. And then trying to like interpret what did they mean? And you have these dialogues in your head, these endless dialogues in your head. Yes. Uh Oh. Because it's not a real, it's a conversation in your head. It's not with the actual real person. Right. Should have, would have, could have. Yeah. Over and over and over again. Yeah. Right. The dwelling. And so that can show up in any ways. Like, so go back to the driving. Like, I should have pulled. I should have noticed. He should have. They should have. Whatever. And not being able to get out of it. So after four sessions, three to four sessions of doing the neurofeedback, mm-hmm. your dwelling went from whatever time frame to 10 minutes. Yes. Yes, that was that was very surprising to me that someone who has been um, doing counseling and work on herself and read all the books and understood logically that you were really open to change and change wasn't happening. It was not happening. My uh, downstairs brain was kept taking over. <laughs> Um, and not listening to my, uh, you know, prefrontal cortex or boss brain or wizard brain, whatever you call it. Like it was just doing its own thing and it was not helpful and it was very frustrating. So neurofeedback kind of, um, attacked, um, or just, or maybe just calmed down that downstairs brain and and said, you're safe, you're, you're safe, you're calm. Um, you have more space to make a decision and also being stuck in a loop is not helpful. Let me give you some other options and let's create some new neural pathways that, you know, would allow you to get out of that (laughs) stuck loop much faster so that you can feel better. So you can have a much better day. It was incredible. And um, yeah, I discovered it for myself and as a, dedicated mother and someone who just wants something that I just discovered um, so good for herself, I wanted to bring this to my family. And I was already thinking, 
my son who has anxiety could use it. Of course, my daughter is the primary person. I want to make sure that she gets uh, uh, sessions in. And then uh, my husband who is stressed at work constantly and has some other things that he could work on. Oh my goodness. Like I can think our entire family could benefit from this. Why not? Um, so I also learned that not all neurofeedback systems are created equal. There's different styles of equipment out in the market. Um, so the best experience I've had um, was with the system called Neuroptimal, um, Neuroptimal Neurofeedback. Um, I, and that's the one I um, decided to end up purchasing from my uh, personal and then um, create, created for, for my practice. And when I found how incredible that was and how much it was helping my family. So um, it helped my son. He probably had 10 sessions. He went from uh, being stuck on not being stuck on uh, not be able to make new friends and uh, upset about some uh, life trans transition of some losing some friends who left his school and went somewhere else and he wasn't accepted to the school that we applied. That was that was a whole big ordeal. Um, and again, we've tried talk therapy, we've tried you know counseling, I've tried lots and lots of empathy and helping him process that change. It was not working for him. He was stuck. He was he was. He was just upset. Um, so he agreed to do neurofeedback because it was non-invasive, it was easy. Uh, and within 10 sessions, I could see the change in him. Like he was making new friends. He was just easier going. All those things were happening. My daughter probably benefited the most because she had the most to benefit from, from something. Um, some things I noticed in her, she was less startled. Uh, unless because, um, you know, having that uh, trauma or PTSD makes you very hypervigilant and very um, mistrusting of people, even if those people are your loved ones. Um, so walking through her house, through our house, she would get jumpy very easily and constantly say, ah, you scared me all the time. That stopped within the first 10 sessions. Like she stopped like it just kind of happened so gradually I don't even remember like oh after a while I look back like she hasn't accused me of scaring her <laughs> all of a sudden um it was allowing her brain to shut off so she can get the rest she needed at night uh, mm -hmm. I later learned it's used for insomnia and various sleep disorders because it just allows the brain to you know turn down and not uh, like have that monkey brain <laughs> keep that keeps running, but nothing to do really not producing anything helpful. Um, yes. Um, she was just less reactive, more calm. Um, so having that positive experience and having my own life transition at that time, challenging what it is that I wanted to do with myself and with all this live in experience with trauma and my child and all the research and, and, and my, background education, it just was a no pun intended, no brainer that I wanted to open my own practice and offer neurofeedback to other families that I could so much relate um, who could use uh, 
this incredible resource um, yeah. when they're tired and desperate and have tried other things to no like, avail. Oh, always feels like everything. Yeah, yeah, it was huge. It just and uh, it's um, it's a shame that so many people are not even aware of it. Right. Yeah. Well, let's make sure that this this message gets out there. Okay, so how long have you been in practice now? Uh, almost two and a half years at this point. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, what is the average turnaround for a client to see some some change? So you mentioned it was a couple sessions for you. I think you shared in a previous conversation, some people see a change like immediately after one. You shared now that with your son and with your daughter, it was about 10 sessions for one specific incident of a, a thing to kind of change. So mm-hmm. like, what what is the average that people can start to see a change, do you think? If there is an average. Yeah, this is a really tough question. And if you research studies, studies usually pick like a number. So it's a consistent number to compare from person to person. And that number is typically 20 sessions. Mm-hmm. Um, generally, when you work with any practitioners, they would, you know, throw that number out. Now, I also know that some people benefit from it, like within the first three sessions, other people need a lot more than 20, just depending on what's the severity of the condition, how many years they had that problem, the different complex issues that they're working on, um, the age, um, yeah, their various diagnoses that they have. Um, I am not very dogmatic about like, you need this many sessions. I usually give a guidance to my clients. I say, I always say, try three sessions if you're not sure. And I would say the majority of people within three sessions know what it's doing for them. And they can just, they usually tell me after three sessions, a lot of different things that are starting to shift in their life. Um, Yeah. And then they just want to continue. And then uh, I say, as long as you see, continue interested in continue to change something in your life. Um, you can keep coming and keep getting a session. Typically that happens about once a week. Um, some people, um, get to a point where they feel like that's enough change and they just want to integrate that change and get kind of get used to the new themselves because it's kind of almost a new personality came out. Um, usually like less grumpy and, you know, um, Uh, kind of more hopeful, those kind of things that they want to get used to. And then some people choose to do maintenance, like uh, they start spreading the sessions out every other week, once a month, or, or they would disappear. And then I see them again and say, what's going on? Oh, you know, the holidays, it's a stressful time for me. So I just felt like you've been incredibly helpful. And so I needed to come in and get my brain reset. Uh, Yeah. So have a couple minutes mm-hmm. um so first can you please tell people where they can find you yes the best way to find me is through my website and i'm sure listeners would have like so many more questions at this point because this is just a teaser um my website is uh www.bevertonneurofeedback.com so bevertonneurofeedback.com Um, I have developed a lot of resources like frequently asked questions and my blog section is very resourceful. Um, I have a story about my daughter 
um, and how I came to neurofeedback, why I'm doing what I'm doing, but lots of other uh, articles that uh, most people will find helpful. Yeah. Um, okay. We only have like two minutes left. Yeah. What is one thing you want to tell people to encourage them to try this modality? Well, I would say if you have a lot of resources in your life and you're happy where you are, you probably wouldn't want to try anything and neurofeedback included. But if you feel like you're stuck, if you feel like something's missing, like it was for me. Um, also, if you feel like the meds, you've given them a chance and there's something out there that would be better and you would like to have your brain do the work on its own, right? Neurofeedback would be um, a great thing to try. Um, and again, do your research. You know, this is this is a personal decision. I certainly didn't come to it instantly. Um, I had to think hard and I had to research between different providers as well as different styles of neurofeedback. They're not all created equal. Um, just find what works and give it a try. Um, yeah, give it a try. If you've never tried it, you can have a gazillion of questions, but until you try it, you will probably have a hard time understanding how that works and how that feels. Thank you so much for sharing this modality with us and your story. I am so grateful. Yes. Thank you so much, Michelle. It's a pleasure. You're welcome. Balance Shared is produced and edited by me, Michelle Astley. The instrumental music, Grass, by Silent Partner, is from the YouTube Audio Library. If you've enjoyed today's episode, leave a review, especially on Apple Podcasts. If you've loved the messages of co-creating a better future and digging into ourselves, maybe you'd like to become a supporter. Email hello at michelleastley.com to get your sponsorship guide. Thank you for listening to this podcast. This is Michelle Astley with Balance Shared, a space where I truly believe we are better together.